The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. My co-host, I'm joined by him. It's Dave. How's it going, Dave? <laughs> you just threw me off. What? Oh, my God. I don't know. I say it the same week. I say it the yes. same week every day, every episode. I'm joined by my co-host, Dave. I was, like, trying to change it up. Yeah, he goes, yeah, you know, that's, that's true. It is usually, like, welcome to the show. Yeah, joined by my co-host Dave. This time he's like, yeah, co-host, here he is, joined by yeah. him, Dave. All right, well, uh, happy Easter, Ryan. That's right, it is Easter. Yeah. Are we bad people because we're not, like, hunting eggs right now? <laughs> and we're recording a music business podcast instead? Oh, yeah, because eggs are the reason for the season. I don't know, I'm a little sketchy on some of the biblical details. I assume that there was, like, a rabbit and some eggs involved. It's so funny seeing the Twitter of like some famous famous atheists like uh, Ricky Gervais and everything, and everyone gets like in arguments. And it's like, look at look over here, look at this pagan festival that was clearly the inspiration of this. You freaking idiots! I don't know, whatever. <laughs> if you want to follow us on the Break the Business podcast, you can follow me at Ryan K A I R. Follow Handsome Dave at D K A Y E one zero two seven. I wasn't expecting the Handsome Dave. I'm just trying to throw you off as much as can you we make, are. Can we make that like? I want to like, wait. Isn't Handsome Dave a thing? Is that a guy? Is there a guy named Handsome Dave? Can we it look that up? Sounds very familiar. Because if, yeah. if there is a guy, then we can't call you Handsome Dave. There's a Handsome Dan on uh, Wayne's World too. Well, yeah, right? that was yeah, Handsome Dan. Yeah, Harry Shearer. It's like hey, the other guy comes out. It's like I'm or, not Handsome Dan. Oh, right, Ted, Ted McGinley comes yeah, out yeah. and they think he's Handsome Dan. And it's like hi. It's like hi, Handsome Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. wow old yeah. reference Wait, all right so while you look up whether there is a handsome dave and if not we can call you handsome dave um i'll keep telling people coming up in the next segment um great indie artist by the name of matthew mayfield's going to be showing up uh he's been in the game for a long time he was actually the lead singer oh, I'm, oh wait i'm getting a shake from you are we are we good is handsome dave available yeah there's some band that does something with it but i'm not even going to give him the pub so yeah all right. Actually, you know what I was thinking of? There was Handsome Dan, which were two, and then there's Lonesome Dave, the guitarist for Fog Hat. Oh. I mean, well, that's what I was thinking Then of. Handsome Dave it is. Handsome Dave it is. Hello. <laughs> wait, you, you skipped the, the finger on the button there, right? Sorry about that. Getting ripped to Handsome Dave. Wait, why, wait why, why can't Handsome Dave just be you? Why does Handsome Dave have to have a different voice? I don't know. It's a handsome voice. <laughs> it is a handsome voice. Oh, yeah. So let me tell you a little bit more <laughs> about Matthew Mayfield, who's coming up in the next segment. Matthew uh, Mayfield. Sure. Now I'm throwing you off. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, he was the lead singer of, the, of a band called Moses Mayfield that was signed to Columbia Records. They actually put out some music. Now he does things independently. You know, he's, he's, he's going solo. Uh, he's shedded the major label, and he's doing great. He's, he's put out a couple albums. He's using uh, platforms like Stage It, and he does unique forms of crowdfunding to get his albums off the ground. Really inspirational stuff. Um, and you're going to learn a lot uh, when we talk to him in the next segment. But first... Uh, we got just some random music business stuff to talk about. Oh, I should also add, I'm sorry you threw me off and I've thrown you off and now we've thrown each other off and we're mm -hmm. messing up with all the intro stuff. Uh, you can reach out to the podcast at emailing breakthebusiness at gmail.com. Rate, review us, and subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. And tell a friend. Tell a friend about Handsome Dave. Oh, 
That that was the thing that you forgot about. Yeah, it's important. Tell uh, people, tell a friend. Be like, there's this podcast. There's a handsome guy on it named Handsome Dave. And I don't I don't think anyone is listening to this. Going, I was going to tell someone about it because I liked it, but they didn't explicitly tell me to. So I'm just going to keep it to myself. Well, some you know, it's 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 a call to action. It's an important marketing tool. Like some people are always thinking, man, this is a a cool little podcast that's going action. on. Isn't that, yeah? Is that, is that a marketing term of art? It is. I've heard you use it many times. Yeah. No, it's a thing. Yeah. And we're we are calling people to action. We're we're assembling our little army of well, more of like probably a humble militia of fans to go out there and and spread the good word, mediocre word that is our of our podcast. That's right. Because I mean, I know you told me that in every single copy of Break the Business. Declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry by Ryan Carella. Available now on Amazon. Ooh. It's always been available on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and every single copy is a very tiny microchip that will, at a certain uh, uh, time, uh, emit a signal that will make all of the readers our unholy army of the night and do our bidding. You weren't supposed to tell them about the microchip. Oh, that was my bad. Well, I'm sure we'll edit this part out. We don't edit things around here. Uh, before we get to Matthew Mayfield, let's run through a couple music business stories that I found. Uh, I hereby dub this A Block, this first segment, the Chris Robley A Block. And, you know, okay. you're, you're looking confused. Um, there's handsome Dave's confused face. Um, Still very handsome. Oh, of course. Oh, my God. It's even more handsome when you're confused. Shy, um, your, shy your eyes away, Ryan. <laughs> Um, Chris Robley is an indie artist. He's a great indie artist, and he's also a blogger on the DIY musician and you know gives a lot of helpful advice to indie artists. And, you know, we just give advice. He gives advice and he carries a tune well. So he's got that on us. But he's put out a couple great articles in the last few days uh, that I wanted to talk about and elaborate on a little bit more because it's it's wonderful stuff. And I'm always out to give good pub to Chris Robley. Uh, the first is a profile he did on an Irish indie singer-songwriter named Daniel Anderson, um, who talked about, and in this profile, he talked about how this guy was able to use old-school marketing with new-school marketing mm -hmm. to come up with an interesting way to put uh, to release and, uh, uh, I should say, promote mm -hmm. his new LP. Okay. So he, he, he uh, as is all the rage these days, it seems, he created a vinyl version of his LP, his latest uh, release. Um, and yeah, that's right. Vinyl is back. Isn't that crazy? I actually, I've, I actually have bought some records. Here's the problem. Ask me if I have a record player. Yeah. That was going to be my uh, follow up. Do you have a record player? No. So what are we doing here, man? Waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting. Just like the gray wolves. I'm waiting. Oh, nice callback yeah. to uh, Canada Dave. Yeah. So I was actually thinking of getting a record player because I, you know, I want to get in on this like you know stupid hipster flavor of the month. All of our parents said it always sounds. It sounded better, man. You it, put it, on the turntable, it sounds better. It does have a. It has a warm sound, and I think certain kinds of music sound great on vinyl. But I was thinking of getting a vinyl record player. And are you going to treat my vinyl record player like you treat the Netflix account, where you're just going to come over and and play all your records on my record player so you don't have to get one? I was going to say, there is a, a slight, slight difference between Netflix and an actual record player that's plugged in to an outlet well, in your home. it's the difference between old school and new school, which brings me back. Wait, that would be funny. Oh, that would have been a good transition. No, because now I have to say that would be funny if I just come over to your house unannounced with a, like uh, some albums in my hand, just walk in and start playing them and just don't even say anything and acknowledge your presence. That would be funny. That'd be great. Do I have, do I have license to do that? Is that what you're saying? You're welcome anytime, my friend. Nice, I'll get an extra key to that Ooh. house. 
I mean, Handsome Dave, like, does Handsome Dave ever get denied entry anywhere he goes? <laughs> no, no, right. No, of course not. Especially not with the ladies. No. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, yeah. Oh, Handsome Dave. better watch out, yeah. Oh, oh, what the hell, Handsome Dave? You can't just take, take, take. <laughs> um, Go on. Okay. Um, so what this guy did um, is he, he originally hired a publicist to kind of get the word out about his album, and he wasn't really getting any traction. And it's a good life lesson with publicists, like, they can't make something out of nothing, these publicists, you know, and so you have to kind of, you know, lay some groundwork yourself if you want a publicist to do anything for mm-hmm. you. But anyway, so the publicist didn't, couldn't really do anything. And so what he decided to do in terms of old school distribution is he started selling his vinyl album door to door in Ireland, just knocking on people's houses. Hey, I got this album. I'm not going to try to do his accent. Um, you know, check it out. And he was able to sell a few albums that way, but what really made it work is he recorded himself selling his album door to door, knocking on random strangers' doors mm-hmm. all throughout Ireland and just walking up to him, hey, I have this vinyl record. You probably don't even have a record player, but you know, do you want to buy this? And the reactions were so funny, mm-hmm. and he made like a mini documentary about it. Hmm. Whereas him like just going to random people's houses and like some you know, for some people he played the song for them and and, you know, he, he managed, you know, he was such a, he was, it was, he was so funny and engaging in the video that he, you know, he actually managed to sell a few albums in his little documentary. But aside from that, the video itself was so hilarious mm-hmm. that when he put it up on the internet, it went viral mm-hmm. and he has sold um, a ton of downloads of it. And he's gotten a lot of streams of his album. And I think he sold like over a thousand of the LPs. So um, and in addition to that, um, the, the viral video got so much pub that uh, he was getting he was getting radio play, he was getting coverage in the national news in Ireland, um, and even reached number 11 on Ireland's album charts. And did this all with just a unique video idea, taking some old school ideas, mixing them with new, new school uh, internet videos, and, you know, had a successful album out of it. And I thought that was kind of cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Door-to-door album salesman. That's right. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny how these things tend to be cyclical. Oh, I almost forgot. Yeah. We're, we're totally out of order here in A Block. This, this this show is apparently all out of order. I know. Yeah. And you know what? This is all my fault because in the beginning, I changed the way that I said I am joined by my co-host. And since then, it's just gone completely off the rails. It, it's, it's yeah, it's uh, it's all gone haywire. But I do see up on our list that before we get to the second music business story, um, we have a wedding update. Yes, I like how you just decide to interrupt this as opposed to just put it at the end. But okay, go ahead. Yeah, you know, but we're out of order, and it's fine. And I, and I want to do it now before I forget, because I know if I go to the second story, I'm going to forget. And we wanted to do the wedding update. All right, all right, all right. So last week, we did we gave an update on the wedding. Oh, wait, I should play the imaging. Yeah, yeah. What, Sorry about duh. that. Here we go. And now it's time for another Ryan's Wedding Update here on the Break the Business Podcast. Rings. All right, so last week we gave an update on my wedding, which is... In well, I think the update... It wasn't as much as an update as it was a, uh, a call-out, uh, a throwing under the bus, if you will, of me. That's true, yes. For uh, not RSVPing to your yes, stupid wedding. That's right. The, the wedding update was me getting upset with you because you, who is in the wedding party, by the way, have not RSVPed. And the only reason I bring it up Listen, is because man. my sister who's planning the wedding, you know... Told me about it. Yeah. Well, and so then I did RSVP. I I called up. I RSVP'd. Mm-hmm. I left a uh, left a message saying you, I was RSVPing. You did. Yes. Yes. 
And uh, I was, you know, so that, that that's been tallied and everything. No, we appreciate it. And yes. so, so now you've RSVP'd for the wedding, um, which is good because you're in the wedding party. So you kind of need to RSVP. And speaking of being in the wedding party, oh, brother, um, you haven't been fitted for your tuxedo yet. Okay. You, I have until thirty days from before the wedding. We're outside of that period. I understand, but what? Like, there are a bunch of other people in the groomsmen party who have—is that the word? For, like, is like the bride or is called the bridal party? What's it called on the men's side? The groomsmen party, know. the it's grooms party, the, 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 the wedding party. Either way, the wedding party. Other people have been fitted and are not like you know putting this down to the wire like are going to come you know are going to get fitted you know 30 and a half days before the wedding because they understand that like my sister's trying to plan this thing and i'm getting stressed out about it and the bride's getting stressed out about it and here you are just like i'm gonna wait until you know 30 days well, before. you know just I, get fitted for your tux you I go kinda, over there you let them measure you i kind of want to drop some pounds you son of a bitch i'm trying to like make sure i'm going on a bit of a diet and exercising I actually want to kind of like you you, you Bastard, you! Is that what this is? That's, that's, you that's hear? what this is. Yes, that's this, what is, this is. This is this is a wait. Like, like, first of all, yeah, the the, the novel idea. Oh, there's a wedding cup. I need to lose weight. Yeah, it's so novel. Who whoever thought of that? Well, now I feel like an a hole. Well, you are. <laughs> and Lauren, give it a rest, man. Boy, she yeah, she's just on your case. You know, yeah, this is what she does. Step is, off, bro. Um, the last two times because the RSVP thing and now the fitting thing, she will send me text messages saying. Ryan, Dave has not done whatever. Uh, talk to him about it on the podcast. <laughs> Seriously, Lauren, yeah. what's what's wrong with you? Stop it. <laughs> Just leave you alone. You're going yes. to take care of it. All hey, right. Or I could go. It's like, how dare you guys? You're trying to strong arm a divorced man into a wedding party. Oh, Have you no oh, sympathy, sir? Oh. Have you no decency? First of all, wow, there's like so many things to unpack here. You're yeah. handsome, Dave. We've established, like, yes. you know, what? <laughs> you don't need to use a different voice. I think I'm going to, what if I show up to the wedding is this way? Hey, everyone, how's it going? Wow. They're going to say that guy's, you know, look at that voice. He must be successful. He's a face for radio. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Can I, can I, can I yes, let yes, you? Yes, yes, Jessica. Well, no, there's, there's another, there's another, since you, since you released that bombshell of a secret that all of this is just because you want to get in as good shape as possible. Yeah. I'm going to let you in on a secret as well. Okay. All right. This is going to get me in trouble Uh-oh. and I probably shouldn't admit this, but uh-huh. another one of the reasons why I, I have an interest in people hustling toward getting fitted for their tuxedos is because I have like eight or nine people in mm-hmm. the groomsmen group. I qualify for not only a free tuxedo for myself for the wedding, but I also get a free suit from the men's warehouse. But I can't get that free suit until everyone's been fitted. So you're saying I am holding up. You are holding up my free suit. Okay. Okay. I've admitted it. Wow. Where, uh, how my fiance's graduation's coming up. She's getting her PhD. I want like a nice new suit for it. And you're holding the line up, man. Fine. Do you want to go right now? Right now, we're okay. going to take the podcasting equipment. We're going to remote from the men's warehouse. We'll have George Zimmer on as a guest. Is that his name? Yeah, you're going to like the way I look, I guarantee it, guy. You're sure George Zimmer? I think so. Are you confusing him? No, I'm not confusing him with, with the Trayvon Martin guy. I'm pretty sure his name is George Zimmer. Do you want to double check on that? While David double checks on that, I'm going to go ahead and get into the next story. Don't worry, Dave. Uh, you can... Thanks a lot, Lauren. <laughs> You're doing I really appreciate internet, your help. Internet research. So the second story, also a Chris Robley 
uh, article, uh, talked about his own music career. You're right, George Zimmer. Confirmed, George Zimmer. There you go. I'm going to like that. Uh, you're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. All right. Well, so, I like the way I look more if I was had some chance to lose some LBs. You piece of crap, you. Also, um, <laughs> all right. You look great, pal. Seriously, Lauren. You look great. Stop it, all right? So Chris Robley, uh, in this second article, talks about his own career uh-huh. and how he put out a music video for his latest song, Anonymous. And what he did in the video, or what he did in this article, is talked about how he was able to create a great music video and spend zero dollars. He didn't spend one cent, and it's a you know great looking video. That's and, good. And he talked about yeah, and a lot for other artists to hear to learn about there. Uh, and he talked about how he was able to do it. And he gave six tips. We're going to talk about a few of those tips and sort of sprinkle in some of the stuff that we've talked about on this own show on how to do it. Uh, the first main thing he talks about is you want to save money, get your friends involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, labor is expensive. It's probably the most expensive uh, cost point in any music video, especially if you're hiring you know, high-priced producers, directors, editors, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to keep your budget small or even keep it at zero, as Robley did, you need people in your network. Um, in the article, Robley talks about how he was able to enlist a friend of his who happened to make films and was able to even get a couple other friends to stop by and be extras in the video. Uh, it talks about, you know, it speaks to the value of networking, which is something we've talked about on the show. I call it your three F's, you know, building your friends, family, and fans, and using mm. these people to move your career forward inexpensively. And I think uh, Chris Corey, the guest we had on a few months ago, he talked, he called it your power sphere. Yes. Which we admitted was much cooler than three F's. No, yeah, that was actually had some like, Wait yeah. to it. So yeah. you use your power sphere uh, to get these things that you need. And uh, Krista Hartman talked about this too. When she made her music video, she was able to use someone in her network who had connections to a film student mm-hmm. uh, at, I think it was NYU or something, who uh, was able to make her film inexpensively because he did it as part of a school project. Um, so you got to find those people in your network so that you don't have to hire some high-priced director, but you can still get somebody who knows what they're doing to help you make your video. Um, Robley also warns in this article that if you are going to get people to work for you for free, you need to be respectful of their time. And so, as he says right in the article, a friend might love to hang out for a few hours on a Saturday afternoon, drink some beer, and do a couple takes or so, but if the shoot drags on for too long, or you have to call people back for a separate day, it might start to feel like you're taking advantage of their time. So don't. Whatever concept you come up with for your video, make sure it can be shot quickly, preferably in four to six hours on a single day, including setup and breakdown. Um, and so, and that sort of speaks to another tip that Robley provided, which is you, if you're going to make a good music video, but not spend a lot of money, you have to have a simple concept. You know, no, you can't have the multiple location helicopter explosion <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm Michael thinking, Bay video. I was just like, listen, we all loved Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings and the <laughs> Hobbit movies. What if, what if we did it with dogs? <laughs> all of it. You want to do that on an iPhone? Yes. So they're going to be barking the whole time. No. Dialogue. <laughs> we're going to oh, teach, oh, we're gonna see, teach oh, him you, to talk. Damn it, you just stepped on the joke. Oh, sorry. He's like, oh, we're going to ADR. It's like, no, we're going to teach him to talk. Yeah, you can go, go. Sorry, go. sorry, sorry. Stepped on my joke. I, I should, like... You know what it is? You make like, you have a twinkle in your eye right when Thank a you. joke's about to come. Oh, yeah, oh that just, too. Just in general, yeah. yes. You, 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 I get lost in your eyes sometimes, oh, handsome Dave. Oh, yes. But no, you, you get like a little, <laughs> you get a little thing in your eye right when you're about to make a joke. And 
as your partner, I have to do a better job of seeing that twinkle and knowing to back out of the way because I know the joke is coming. I we've totally only, stepped on your joke We've only been there. doing this for 20 years. That's uh, fair. <laughs> um, and, but, you know, so you want to keep your concept simple, keep the story simple, one location, and, you know, in as few takes as possible to kind of minimize the editing difficulty. Uh, something I've, I've told artists in the past is it's, in the world of music videos, especially when you have to be budget conscious, it's better to do a simple concept perfectly than a complicated concept in a middling fashion. Because if you do a simple concept well, people will just think, oh, he was trying to be minimalist and artistic. That's, you know, I'm, we're not going to we're not going to blame him for the low budget. Mm-hmm. But if you try to do something spectacular, but, you know, it's clear you don't have the budget for it. People are going to know right away. Oh, you don't have the budget for it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you make this complaint all the time. This is we're talking about Netflix now, but uh, you make this complaint all the time about House of Cards, about how like you can tell like some of the scenes are kind of low budget ish. And yeah, you know, and it bothers you, right? Yeah, I, I mean, well, actually, it's funny. It's like they, they have a really great show, but they spend money on some places and then they don't spend it on anything else. Like casting, they suck. And sometimes locations lately, they suck. Yeah. So, and that, I mean, that's what it is. is and that it's noticeable. They sink. They probably sink all their money into Kevin Spacey and Robin Wright. And you know, next thing you know, they're shooting scenes behind a green screen. You're trying to make it a simple concept. Just have his head floating in space on a blue that's sweatshirt. Right. Um, Local reference. <laughs> so, um, Natalie Gelman, uh, who who we've had on the show, and also yes. I've interviewed her for the book uh, "Break the Business: Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry," available on Amazon. One of the things that wow. she talked about in the Dude. book. Um, is, uh, she talked about how one of her favorite music videos she's ever done was one she did early in her career, which was just her in a rehearsal room that she made look very pretty. Mm -hmm. And it was just her playing the song on the piano. And it's, it's still her favorite one. It came out perfectly, but it was a simple concept that she executed to perfection. And it's the one that people tend to like the most out Mm -hmm. of her videos. And so she didn't try to do more than she could, but she, she made, she made a perfect, she made a perfect dish of scrambled eggs rather than try to make, you know, an omelet where she didn't necessarily know how have the resources to make an omelet. Probably not the best metaphor, but you know what I'm trying to go with. That. Yeah. I think if anything, scrambled eggs instead of poaching the egg poaching. Thank you. Yeah. The omelets still, yeah, I guess omelets aren't really that hard. Yeah. Forgive me. I was having trouble thinking of like the complicated way to make eggs, but yes, poaching. Yeah. Like, Duh. Sorry about that. <laughs> Do you we- even know about the music industry? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, simple works best. Uh, in fact, if, if you're, if you're having trouble thinking of like a good, simple idea for a music video, how about you playing the instrument, <laughs> you know, just strumming the guitar in a cool room or something. Uh, people tend to like watching musicians play music. So, you know, that's always going to be a winner in music videos. Um, and, but even, but you don't want to keep it too simple and to the extent that there's really nothing interesting going on in your video. Rovely talks about how, um, whatever video you make, you need at least one interesting visual element that can carry the video. Um, and what I like to tell artists in this regard is your video needs a hook. Mm-hmm. Um, you need something distinctive cause look, well, there's usually a theme. Yeah. Yeah. You need, you need a theme. You need something that, 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 that has the wow to it. I mean, let's put it this way. Your video is going to be useless for your career. If you can't get people to share it with their friends, you need, you need it retweeted, you need it shared or the video does nothing for you. And to get people to share it, your video needs a hook. You need something that makes people not just go, oh, that's a good video, but makes them go, oh, that's a good video. I need to show this to my friends. 
And that's where the distinctive hook comes in. Think about like the OK Go video, Here It Goes Again, um, where they're uh, uh, doing choreographed dances on treadmills and it got all over, it went viral. Um, uh, oh, okay. I mean... You know it when you see it. Uh, or how about, it said, say, Jamiroquai, uh, virtue, Virtual Insanity. Virtual Insanity. Yeah. Like that, I mean, that video wasn't... Or as, is that like... Dave, you're showing your age again because something from like, what was that? The mid late nineties. That is kind of an old video, uh, but yeah. but no, it's, it's a distinctive video. If that video came out today, people would be like, Oh my God, I have to show this on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, Robley had his own version of this and it doesn't have to be an expensive hook as I'm, you know, uh, he, in his video, he films a sequence where he's coming out of a pool in reverse and he's singing his song. And so like, basically he jumped into a pool like, and then they put it in reverse while he's singing. And to do that, he actually had to learn a portion of the song backwards and sang it backwards while they were doing the playback or doing the right. recording. And so then when he was coming out of the pool, it was him coming out of the pool and singing it forwards. That's an interesting, funny hook. That's the kind of thing that makes people go, oh, check out this reverse coming out of the pool thing. Like, that's the difference between if it was just like him standing around and singing, that might not make people share the video. The Either same that, way. just work on your calf def calves definition, just jump out of the pool and sing. That's less work. Why didn't he just do that? Yeah, yeah just, man. You know, just, you know, float or not just, why not walk on the water? You know, just. Hey, timely. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I didn't even realize it's Easter. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the hook can be anything. It yeah. can be. It can be someone coming out of a pool in reverse. It can be OK Go uh, doing choreographed dances on treadmills or one of my favorite videos, In Your Arms by Kina Granis, where she's singing alongside dancing jelly beans. Whatever it is, um, you want to have that hook. And so uh, check out this article. You can find it on the DIY Musician blog sponsored by CD Baby, uh, Chris Robley, uh, Six Things to Make a Music Video on Zero Budget. Mm -hmm. Coming up next on the podcast, we got Matthew, Matthew Mayfield. Mayfield. Yeah, Lauren, give it a rest. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time, my new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business Podcast. He is an alt-rock singer-songwriter from Birmingham, Alabama. Up until 2008, he was the lead singer of the Columbia Records act Moses Mayfield, but has since moved on to a successful indie solo career where he has released multiple albums and EPs. His latest studio release is the acclaimed Wild Eyes, which Ear to the Ground called a great album from start to finish. He also has an unplugged EP that he released earlier this year. You can find out more about his music at MatthewMayfield.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Matthew Mayfield is on the Break the Business podcast. Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. Thanks for being on with us, Matthew. Yeah, man, of course. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, uh, before we get cooking with the interview, uh, uh, for those who aren't familiar with your music, can you tell people a little bit about your sound? Um, man, it's kind of all over the place uh, to an extent. I like to mix it up. I, um, I like to call it... Um, you know, musical bipolar disorder. Um, <laughs> just because I, I grew up, you know, just loving both, uh, you know, 
Guns N' Roses and Aerosmith and uh, Led Zeppelin, but I also love Neil Young and the Beatles and, um, you know, the songwriter side of things. So I sort of have both of those about 50-50. Um, and I have this thing on the side um, called the Blue Cut Robbery that's a, uh, we, we put out an EP um, that's out everywhere. And it's uh, it's just a total difference. Five guys in a room, you know, live to tape, pure rock and roll, you know, nothing nothing close to a ballad. So, and then I have the, the solo stuff, which is a little more on the, I'd say, you know, singer, songwriter, folk rock, maybe a little, you know, in the Ryan Adams, Damien Rice world, from what I've been told. <laughs> you know, that that's perfectly fair. And as I was writing up this bio for you, and I and I use the phrase alt-rock, I even, you know, I sort of cringed a bit as I was typing it, because I, I, I agree, I don't think it's sort of fair to, to lump you into a genre. Did, did you cringe a bit when I referred to you as an alt-rock singer-songwriter, or was that okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I've, I've accepted it by now. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh... yeah, that's sort of what our, us lazy media people do when we can't figure out what your genre is. We just call you alt-rock. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's fair. It's fair. I mean, you know, I think these days, um, you know, anything with the word rock on it is a good thing because we're, we're definitely lacking in that department. True enough. Uh, so Earlier this year, you released an unplugged EP for Wild Eyes, and you had a release party for it, but it wasn't a typical release party. You actually took the innovative step of having your release show be virtual on the platform stageit.com. Can you tell the folks a little bit about what Stageit is and what your experience was like having a virtual release party? Yeah, it was uh, it was it was killer, man. It was uh, I was really really honored and 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 humbled by how many people were there and and you know it's just such a cool platform to do it when you you know when you're putting out you know because it wasn't new material it was just sort of new versions of sort of some more organic stripped down versions of um, of five or six of the songs on the record and uh, so I when we. You know, we did the show, and uh, um, you know, people basically pay. I think it's like four or five bucks to get in, um, and then you know, you play. You know, you, I think the most you can play, the the most longest you can go is like fifty minutes. Mm-hmm. And so I played, you know, a handful of tunes, and you can see people. You know, they they comment as you go, and you you know, you say, "Hey, where's everybody from?" And it just starts flowing down the screen and it's so cool to see you know i'm from italy i'm from australia i'm from uh, north dakota i'm from hawaii you know what i mean it's like it's all over the world you know and these people are up at you know at crazy odd hours to see the show um and that's super cool and then the the, the best thing about stage in terms of um you know trying to be an extra source of uh revenue is if you uh, you incentivize people by saying the top tipper um, gets a signed personalized vinyl or, you know, uh, uh, I, we actually did these canvases that are uh, sort of these, these super cool canvases of a that's sort of a portrait of me on stage. And I personalized it for the highest tipper. And then the second highest got vinyl, third highest got, I think, a T-shirt and a couple other things. So, you know, you incentivize people to tip and then they start fighting, you know, the top <laughs> tippers. It's like, you know, they start, it's like a, you know, a raffle or something <clears throat> or, a you know, auction. Uh, so, uh, but it's cool because, you know, you make, I've, dude, I, I mean, I'm, I've 
had nights where I've on there where I've made, you know, fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars in fifty minutes on my couch. That's um, awesome. Which, which, but if, yeah, which goes a long way for me. Uh, you know, I, I'm not by any means, you know, living in a mansion or anything by any means. <laughs> Uh, but it was, it was super cool. And, and, and everybody was really, it's just a great way to engage with people. Um, you can really, um, you, even though it's strange plan for your computer screen, you still get a sense of community because, you know, when you ask people, you know, where you're from or you ask them, you know, what's your favorite song off the record or, or, you know, if you will do one request, you know, at the end, that's, you know, I'll pick one and it's crazy, man. And, you know, you just see, yeah, just a, you can't keep up with how many you know things come down the screen. So it's a really encouraging thing as well. It's you know it's kind of a a pick me up if you will. <laughs> you know if you're having a bad day or or if you feel like you're not where you want to be in, in music. You know you're not as success, successful as you want to be or whatever. Um, uh, it's a nice little you know pat on the back from people that have been with you for a while. Oh, yeah. Uh, for you, it's certainly an ego boost. And for your fans, it's a great way to get a, a live performance of the artists they love, um, even if they're geographically dispersed, um, as tends to be the case with many indie artists. So really cool platform. Uh, before your current solo career, you were the lead singer of the band Moses Mayfield, and you were signed to Columbia Records. Can you talk a little bit about your major label experience and what has since drawn you into releasing your music independently now? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, we got a deal. You know, I grew up wanting to be, I, I knew what I wanted to be when I was a kid, probably eight, nine, ten years old when I first started getting into music and, and rock and roll in particular. Um, and so I wanted to be a rock star um, and, and by like, you know, an arena rock band. And uh, so we were an arena rock sound and um, they signed us and uh, gave us a crazy amount of money and we spent a fortune, I mean, half a million dollars on the record and, um, promotion and all kinds of stuff. And I remember being at the, at the, uh, we opened for Pete Yarn and, and Rose at the Rosen ballroom and it was sold out in New York and the GM of the label came over, the general manager put his arm around me after our set and he said, we're going to make you the next big rock and roll band in the world. Well, that sounds like and, every you know, movie about the music business. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. we're gonna make you a star, kid. Exactly, and I was a kid. You know, I, I believed it because I'm sitting there at Rosen, Rosen Ballroom with, in the you know, in the basically the penthouse, and uh, with all the label execs, and they're all telling me I'm the best thing ever. And I'm you know, 22 years old. You know, it's like 23 years old. I mean, it's too. You you're a kid. You know, you don't you? Of course, you believe it. You know, um, but then we got dropped. We basically what happened is. Um, Rick Rubin came in to run the label, and he fired all of our champions, our, our everybody, like our radio guys, our A&R guy, mm. guys, our, you know, just everyone, our whole team. Uh, he cleaned house. And so I knew it was coming because, you know, without, a, without any champions, you're kind of screwed. So I got a call from the former president of the label, and he said, you know, Columbia Records is no longer the place for you or your band. And um, it was it was it was a really tough thing for me to hear because I worked so hard. We we spent 19 months making that record, and I still love that record. I think there's some good songs on it. Um, and I 
you know, I put my heart and soul in this thing, and then it just all came crashing down. And they gave us the record back, but by then it was old hat, and no one, no other label wanted to sign it because of the pride issues. And um, so we, so basically, the band broke up shortly thereafter, and I was sort of looking at it like, well, what, you know, what do I do now? Um, and so I went into a studio in this tiny little basement studio here in Birmingham, uh, and I made a eight song EP. Um, that for less than a thousand bucks and, uh, just for me just to see if I could do it. And, um, it's, you know, it was the first, it's called the fire EP. It's the first thing I ever put out. And, um, as a solo artist and I put it up on MySpace at the time and, uh, got it, I mean, through a, a crazy chain of events, uh, I mean, basically Grey's Anatomy called and said, Hey, we want to use your song for the hundredth episode of the show. Wow! It's gonna be like the it's gonna be like the peak of the episode. It'll be a huge feature. They gave me a ton of money, and the back end on that was crazy. And that was before streaming, so people would buy, were buying the song. Like, I mean, it was insane, you know. So that was really the moment when I was like, okay, I can do this. You know, I can, I can make a living without a label. You know, and I can. I can do more than sense, and you know, yeah, I've had another other song on Grey's and a bunch of other songs on the TV shows, and um, you know, that's been killer as well as you know the road. I mean, when I, if I go on the road and I play the right markets, you know, I, and you do, you know, two, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred seat rooms and sell them out, and you know, and with merch, you know, and you don't go crazy with the uh, overhead, you can you can make some money, you know. So um, you just gotta. For me, it's about um, making sure that it makes sense uh, because, you know, I, you know, just I do this to keep the lights on. You know, I don't make it to make it. I don't do it to make a fortune. And I do it to keep the lights on. And um, and, and, you know, I, I call it it's a blue collar gig. You know, you're a working class artist. And I think most of the people listening to this, I would imagine, are working class artists. And um, mm-hmm. and it's it's really important, man. It's it's uh, it's not an easy gig to uh it's not an easy path but it's um i would be super miserable doing anything else and uh i've never done anything else uh since i was 19 so it's been you know 11 years so well that's sort of the definition of success for any artist is that you know you've been able to consistently do what you love thank you so much by the way for being so honest and candid about your label experience and you know and how you're able to transition um, into what you're doing now independently so successfully. One of the things that I like the most about the way you run your career, Matthew, is how you've used sort of different funding models and a, a variety of funding models to release your indie projects. Uh, for example, in 2012, you released uh, your album, A Banquet for Ghosts, and you did that as a pledge music campaign, a conventional crowdfunding campaign. Uh, but for this Wild Eyes album that you put out in 2015, uh, which we're going to play a song from a little later in the interview, by the way, I'm really excited for that. You used a unique approach where you actually partnered with a sync licensing company to fund the project. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. I, um, you know, I basically I, I went out to L.A. and uh, was working with the guy who produced the majority of Wild Eyes' last record, and uh, we were doing we were just sort of. The, the some mutual friends wanted us to meet and thought we'd hit it off and, and make good music together. So we did, and it was killer. And we ended up we ended up writing and tracking a full tune while I was just 
while just in one day while while I was there, and um, that ended up getting really it got a lot of love on TV film, um, and so basically they said, you know, look, if uh, you know, we'll help, you know, this is, you know, we can come up with a way that, you know, we'll put in some money and you put in some money and then we'll, we'll work a deal where, you know, it's just a recoup thing. And it wasn't, I mean, it was peanuts compared to the major label budgets, but, you know, um, it allowed me to make the record and not go broke. Um, and it also, you know, put some skin in, they have some skin in the game, um, to make, make the money back. So it was, it was a cool, uh, it was a really cool way to do it, and they're great friends of mine, and trusted everybody involved, and and we've since recouped, obviously, and uh, so it's it was cool, man. It was it was a different way, but I, it made me feel less scared, you know, because you, it's hard when you when you fully fund your own record, knowing that, you know, the sales aren't going to, I mean, unless something goes crazy, of course, but like a, you know, the sales. Uh, digitally are not going to be what they were, and um, and the decline of that has been um, incredible, just just mind blowing. Um, so that and that's you know it's okay, you know it's the new world, it's all in the cloud, and and unfortunately <laughs> the cloud is free, the, the the cloud is free, you know. Yeah. But knowing that you know it still costs, everybody knows it still costs um, a decent amount of money to make a great a good record. I mean, you can make a great record in your bedroom, but like. You know, we're talking like great gear, great vintage guitars, great drum kits and studio space and great microphones. I mean, it's 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 still a very expensive business. Um, and I don't like the idea of making a record in my bedroom or in my home studio. I, I just I like working with producers. I like working in big live rooms. And the energy is where that's where the performances come from. Um, if I was doing it just sitting at home in my bedroom or in my studio, I would, I just feel like I would be super uninspired and not pushed, uh, by a producer, which is what I, I really like. I like to be produced by someone I trust, you know, Hey, you should sing this a little different or try the, you know, try a different, you know, inflection or a different chord or that kind of stuff really, um, helps me and it really helps me get better. So well, I'm sure that extra effort is absolutely the reason why this uh, the Wild Eyes release has had so much acclaim. There's a lot to like about this story and, and the way that you put this record together, Matthew. Uh, and there's a lot of lessons for um, indie artists, whether even if they're not as far along as you are in their career to garner from this. And the first one that comes to mind for me is just the value of networking and building relationships. The reason why you were able to get this innovative funding mechanism for this release is that you had built relationships with these companies, in this case, um, this sync company, and you were able to create a deal that had the guaranteed funding of a record deal without, you know, losing your rights to the masters and without, and, and the recoupment mechanism came from the gross earnings of the record, as opposed to just your tiny record label royalty recouping the costs of this, uh, release, which is why you're able to recoup it so quickly. And, and this was, I mean, when, when I heard this story, this is the part that I liked the most is you gave the sync company an incentive to go out and hunt down sync opportunities for you so that they could get their investment back. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of a win-win for everybody, man. Oh, it's, it's nice uh, to see deals like that in the music business. There's, it seems like there's fewer and fewer win-wins these days. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's very rare. Very <laughs> rare. And right now I'd love to uh, 
let everybody get to feast their ears on the fruits of the labors uh, that you uh, made for this Wild Eyes record. We're going to play a song off it called Quiet Lies, and uh, it's coming up right now on the Break the Business podcast.
Matthew, that was a work of art. Thank you so much for letting us play that on the show. Oh, yeah, man. Thank you. Glad you like it. Oh, that was uh, tremendous. Uh, and before we let you go, Matthew, um, uh, well, I guess, <laughs> sorry, I'm still uh, caught up by that song. That was great. <laughs> um, uh, can you give, uh, do you have any uh, last minute uh, tips to impart to any of the indie artists out there? Um, any any uh, wisdom that you want to share with all the folks listening? Um, well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that I'm sure everybody else knows, but, um, you know, I mean, I think we're all, we're all in it together, um, as independent artists. Uh, and yeah, I think, um, you know, it's important to, uh, embrace that sense of community. Um, you know, some of my best friends also happen to be some really great artists. Um, you know, David Ramirez is a great friend friend of mine, Matthew Bierman Jones, a great friend of mine. Um, the guys in Need to Breathe are good friends of mine. Uh, they're on a label. But just there's a lot, you know, a lot of these people that you meet over the years that they're not only friends, but they're fans and vice versa. And so you, you know, having those relationships, you know, I mean, David and I have toured together multiple times and Jones, Matthew Bierman Jones and I have done it quite a, a couple of times as well. And, um, it's it's really and I've you know, opened for Need to Breathe on many many tours, so it's one of those things. It's like really important to have um, have that you know on your have those relationships, and also you know I think working uh, trying to find innovative ways to make a living um, doing this because you hear so many people bitching about Spotify and streaming and I can't sell music anymore, um, but the system is what it is, you know, and there's no, um, there's no fighting the new wave. The streaming is in and buying music is out. So unless it's vinyl, um, so it's, or a CD at a show or something, but you know, in terms of digital, um, online sales, they're plummeting, you know, because of streaming. And, uh, and I think we all have to embrace that and find, be creative and think of new ways to generate, revenue and uh and and not to be millionaires or even hundred thousandaires just to be just to be able to uh do what you love and um and keep your lights on and you know and pay your bills you know uh that's really uh that's really all that i i do it for i don't don't do it to to be a you know be rich if i i i was really you know I'd be really stupid if I was trying to get to, to do this to be, make money uh, or like crazy money. Um, so, yeah, that's that's, uh, that's probably all I got. Right on. Um, there's no substitute for uh, building relationships and uh, having an innovative attitude toward your career. If you want to find out more about Matthew Mayfield, and I can't imagine why you uh, wouldn't after uh, – Hearing that song, you can check out his website, MatthewMayfield.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at Matthew Mayfield. Matthew, thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, man. We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. 
Ryan here from the podcast. If you like the show, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to reach out to us, shoot us an email at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Matthew Mayfield for joining us in the previous segment and playing what I think is one of my favorite songs that we've heard on this podcast. Uh, It's off the EP Wild Eyes, and you can find out more about him by going to MatthewMayfield.com. All right, Dave, we got some great uh, D-Block segments this week. We do. We got some good stuff. Lauren, give it a rest. What do we got? You're still... You're still mad at her for ratting you out oh. about the uh, tuxedo fitting in the I, RSVP. I think it'd just be funny if I just drop it in the show now, just all the time. You know, like a lot of great podcasters, Dave, have their sign off. Uh-huh. Like the last thing, you know, like the last thing they say before oh. they go to break. Like even like Walter Cronkite, he had, you know, and that's the way it was. Like, is that is this going to be your sign off? Instead of, yeah, good night and good luck. Enjoy your burrito. Right. Yours is going to be give it a rest, Lauren. Was it give it a, no? I think it was Lauren. Give it a or rest. Lauren, give it a rest. Well, it's, it's your. You know what? Uh, we'll, it's see, your, we'll see what happens. <laughs> your at the end. We'll see what happens at the end of the show. All right, we're looking forward to that sign off. And I'm looking up at the board. Oh, we're bringing back Dave, the ultimate arbiter. Ooh, nice. I haven't done him in a while. Oh man, I get to dust off this sound. I haven't heard this in a while. Here we go. In these difficult times. One man has the courage to fight for what's right. We are living in a society. Society has rules. He'll make the tough decisions so that we can live in a civilized world. And let Dave be the ultimate arbiter. If he finds out that you reserved a parking spot by standing in it, you'll suffer his wrath. That's against the rules of the parking lots. All rise for Dave. The ultimate arbiter. At least I'm not a crazy person. Well, I think I'm not a crazy person. You at home might be thinking, God, this guy's a crazy person. (laughs) I love that. The whole time it's playing this imaging, you are smiling. I love this thing. It's great. It makes me really happy. (laughs) I'm sorry. You did a great job. What can I say? Thank you very much. It it makes me happy. I am very (laughs) proud of that imaging. Uh, All right. To explain what this is, uh, Dave is the ultimate arbiter. Yes. Uh, you can email us at breakthebusiness.com if there's some societal question or some minor issue that you want Dave to be the decider on. He is the ultimate arbiter. His rulings are final. There are no appeals, mm-hmm. and he's always right. So right. hence the no appeals. And we would do this more often, but we don't get that many emails of people who want us to arbit stuff. And... Because, you know, we don't have a lot of listeners yet. <laughs> but we did get this one. Okay, that's and, good. And I like this one. Okay. I think this is a good one for you to arbit. So are you ready? You got, the, you got your... All right. Bring the case forward. All right. Um, this is... I'm going to read this directly from the email. I was having lunch at a restaurant with a co-worker this week. We had an implied agreement that we would split the bill. I ordered chicken. He ordered chicken. He also ordered a glass of wine and a small dessert. I didn't order any alcohol or dessert because it was lunchtime. The bill came back, which was made a bit higher because of his extra orders. And before I could even say anything, he throws his card down on the table and says to the waiter, split it up. I reluctantly threw mine down as well. I need a ruling here, Dave. Shouldn't the split the check rule go out the window when this guy apparently thinks that I should be subsidizing his booze and cake lust? Or should I just accept it? 
And would it have been in my would it have been my place to bring this up with a co bring this up with the coworker, or would that have been bad form? All right, so we have a bit of a, a culinary conundrum here for you, Dave. Well, I will tell you this, Ryan. If anyone is in bad form right now, like Captain James Hook tells us, bad form. <laughs> You know, it would be... Are you making that, a hook reference? Yes. Bad form. Yes, bad form, bad form. Um, Topical. The the gentleman who ordered the wine and the dessert. At lunch. At lunch. Okay, so I am with the emailer on this. No, 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 no. You don't split 50-50 because now, yes, the extra cost is now on the agree, on the party that just got their chicken and their water, and that's it. That's not cool. You don't just go 50-50. No, 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 you... You, if if any, you split the check, you say separate checks. You don't do split it. You do separate checks. Or if you have some cash, you'll be, okay, fine. I'll put in more because I got more. This person is a douchebag. Mm. The, the wine and dessert guy. Wine and dessert guy. One, first of all, it's a weekday. It's, it's business and lunch and you're having alcohol. Already, I'm like, okay. Generally, I, I don't know. I don't know how you do things with your business. Whenever I do it, I don't. Drink because I feel like that's 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 bad form. Yeah, I'm, I'm never I'm not the drinking before 5 p.m. guy. I have been known when you know if I'm feeling frisky, like I might I might get a cake for lunch. Oh, the cake. <laughs> um, but for me, I I wouldn't I could never bring myself to make the other person pay for this. But well, no, that's that's bad form. So, so bad form. So so what's the rule? Like like. If both people sort of agree, like splitting that they're going to split the check, like at what point? No, that's separate checks. That's not splitting the check. That's a separate check. You split the check if you've got like comparable things. If you both, if you both get like a Caesar salad, one with chicken, one with tuna. I don't know because maybe you have a wedding coming up, and you know your friends bothering you to, do, to get a fitting for a tuxedo, and you know you want to lose a little bit of weight or something like that. Rest, <laughs> Lauren. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and you both get like salads and sodas. That's fine. Then yeah, okay, split it up because it's like okay, it's it's comparable. But you know, if douchey McDouche over here, you know, orders the Clams Casino, you know, a bottle of white, um, <laughs> the veal parmesan, and then gets you know tiramisu. Meanwhile, you just got your antipasto and like three steaks to go. And- yeah, and then you know, no, that's not cool. That's, that is not cool. Bad form. Cut his hand off and feed it to the crocodile. Why do you keep making references from a 1991 movie? Or I could be making references to the, the, the Peter Pan movie from, like, I think, the 60s it was, or just the J.M. Barry novel. I don't know. There you go. All right. What about his second question, Your Honor? Because I think this is the interesting oh, one. Oh, bringing it up. Like, yeah. Can you, like, is it, is it, like, can you bring this up with the coworker, or do you just kind of have to eat it if he, like, throws the card down right away and says split it up? I guess here's the thing, right? It all depends on how comfortable you are with confrontation and wh- what is this person, what is your relationship with this person? If it's the boss, I guess you kind of have to shut up and eat it, but then you just be aware of it next time and maybe just kind of, like, at the outset, you go, separate checks. No, try to, like, beat them to the punch. You know, yeah, you, you, you just tell the waiter, like, first the bat, separate checks, and then that's it. And then what are they going to say? Oh, no, I thought we'll split it. It's like, yeah, I know. That's why we're doing separate checks. Oh, so like now it's Zen like Zen move there. Yeah, that's so then that now you're basically challenging them to be like, all right, you know, if I guess that's what you're saying is then you'll just get a nice iced tea and a scoop of tuna to go. Then, yeah, we'll split the checks. <laughs> Don't question my authority, bro. Uh, solid ruling. Thank you very much, Dave. Oh, yes. Don't be don't be bullied by these splitting the checks people. True story. I wasn't there for it, 
but my coworkers when I was in China went to like a pretty big dinner, and this one guy, this Mr. Wine Connoisseur, who oh. looks through the wine book and knows it all and everything, ordered bottles of wine for the table. Did everyone drink the bottle of wine? No. Were they pretty expensive? Yes. <laughs> and at the end, when they split the bill equally amongst the people, they had the upcharges. Oh, big douche move. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you know you you know you, then you know you, you know what you say to that person? You look him square in the eye. You know what you say? Is this going to be a hook reference? You say give it a rest, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you understand that my sister's watching you now. If there's any other wedding thing that you don't do on time, she's going to tell me. It's going to come back to me. And we'll do more wedding segments. Well, then, you know, maybe the joke will be on her. Maybe I just don't show up. Take that, Lauren. Oh, you do that. That would hurt me. Well, you and I will go somewhere else on that day or something. We'll, we'll do a game or something. We'll head somewhere else. We'll do something else on the day of the wedding. Yeah. What do you got to do? <laughs> Listen, bro, I can tell you, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm not. I'm not going to let you do this again. You, this is like the third week in a row where like you're going to try to like, you know, make me feel negative about the wedding because you're going to talk about your wedding. And no, I'm I'm still naive about love. Damn it. Don't take that away from me. Ah, uh, fine. Don't worry. You'll learn. <laughs> it's funny. It's all funny stuff. <laughs> if funny. you can't laugh, then, you know, uh, all right, so um, I see next uh, we got a movie review from you. Uh, you have seen Batman versus Superman. You want to talk about it? I have not seen it yet, but you wanted to give a review for the people out there who have yeah, yeah, yeah. yet so, to see it. So I'm surprised you haven't seen it yet. Well, I was going to, but and admittedly, you're gonna, you're gonna. I know you're gonna rip me for this. I just know it. Huh? But I'm the sort of person that I I take my cues from Rotten Tomatoes and movie review sites, and if I see that a movie is badly reviewed, it'll give me pause about watching it. And this movie has been trashed by the critics. It definitely has. But here's the thing. I never, for certain stuff, I'm not, I'm not going to listen to it. Rotten Tomatoes could have given The Force Awakens a zero. I was still going to see the damn thing. You know, Batman versus Superman, I'm going to see it. You know, it's that sort of property. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm always going to see it. Right. Um, so, yeah, I went to see it on um, Friday. Actually, the day came out. So, it's funny. So, right off the bat, you know, it's Good Friday. Schools are out, right? So... I'm already noticing in the theater there are lots of kids. And I don't just mean like high school or middle school kids. I mean like kids, like four, five, six, seven year old kids there with their parents to see the movie. Mm. And right off the bat, I'm like, do these parents know what the tone of these movies have been lately? Did they see Man of Steel? And comprehend the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of civilian deaths that occurred in that movie. That's always one of the criticisms of Man of Steel, the fact that just it's very casual and it deals with the fact that you have a major horrific thing happening at the end of Man of Steel. You saw Man of Steel. Right? I did see Man of Steel, yes. You know, the, the fight between Superman and Zod basically levels yeah. all of Metropolis on a weekday. That's right. You know, it's, it's understood that pe- lots of people died. This is the world that this place is taking in, and now there's a bunch of like five-year-olds. And also, I mean, I'm not sure if you've read Dark Knight Returns or The Death of Superman. No, I'm, I'm not really a comic book guy. Okay, so those those are the two stories that this is based on. And, you know, so obviously, okay, Batman versus Superman. They're going to fight, right? It's not exactly a little lily, black, little lily fight. Or everything. This is like major hardcore violence between superheroes that kids love, and they're trying to, like, kill each other. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm sure those like, Daddy, why, why is Batman trying to kill Superman? <laughs> What's going on? 
you know, it's, 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 it's some pretty intense imagery. I don't recommend it for children, children. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm like prudish this way or something, but I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I have no kids, so I, I, I don't know about sens- their sensibilities right now, but still it seems way too intense for them. Yeah. So I want to get your impressions on different parts of the movie. And the first thing I want to ask you is how was Ben Affleck's performance? There was a lot of uh, trepidation that some fans had about casting Ben Affleck in this role. He's had sort of a checkered past when it comes to superhero movies, <clears throat> Daredevil. And I think people were worried that Ben Affleck would not do well in this movie. What'd you think? He was fine. I thought he yeah. was fine as a older, um, Bruce Wayne, Batman that had been around the block a bit. Um, Batman had seen some things. Well, that's, that's what, that's what the story is. It, it, that's, you know, I think it's supposed to be like, I don't know, like 20 some odd years. I mean, obviously Ben Affleck, he didn't look as old as they, they, they kind of grade him up a bit. I guess he's supposed to be maybe like in his late forties or fifties. It's funny. Like the whole thing, the Nolan Batman. Oh God, I can tell him I'm, I'm, I'm already going to, no, 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 no. I'm going to go I'm in the weeds and I'm going to lose genuinely you. Genuinely interested. Okay. You know, don't that, let the, uh, the 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 fact that it looks like I'm falling asleep fool you. All right. Yeah. Okay. Fine. No. Um, go. No. 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 I'm, I'm serious. No. I, I want to hear right, this. Yeah. So anyway, that 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 Batman's a young Batman, and even in Dark Knight Rises, we're supposed to make think think he's been seen it all, even though technically the timeline is such. He's only been Batman for really like a few months when you think about it. Oh, that's um, true. Yeah. From Batman Begins to the Joker thing to then he goes away. It's like he's only Batman for like less than a year. Then he's like, ah, screw this shit. Um, <laughs> Getting too old for this. Yeah. Exactly. Um. No, I thought Ben Affleck was good. I thought he could have used more time in the cowl. Oh yeah, it was it was too much Bruce Wayne. Seemed like there was a lot because you know it's it's again they see. I guess it's funny. The Marvel movies gave each hero a movie to set up their world and what their place is going to be and how it's going to relate to the Avengers and any of the Avengers. Right. And then it's like, they just go from the Avengers. We already, we had Captain America's movie. We had Iron Man's movies. We had Thor's movie. Um, okay. And we already had Black Widow in one of them. You know, okay. We, we got it right. This is now trying to set up this whole thing in one movie without much back to it. Oh, so you kind of got a lot crammed in there. I think it's like a two and a half hour movie. Well, Yeah. Um, Zack Snyder, the director, I mean, yeah, there was some stuff in there. There was one line of dialogue that confounded me when I heard it. I'm like, wow, this definitely had some script issues in terms of writing. And it kind of like, I, I kind of like, it, it pushed me back in my seat. Cause I'm like, it, what, no one talks. Why would someone say that? Well, the criticisms I've heard have been script editing. Uh, yeah, because there are some, uh, cause I, I'm not, I don't want to spoil it. There are some sequences which sort of then... As an audience member, then you're left. You, you you stop watching the movie at a certain point when they're done, and start now asking yourself questions like, "Wait, where am I in this in the storytelling?" Oh, you get lost in the weeds a little bit. Yeah, you get lost in the weeds, and now all of a sudden you're you're, you're very aware that you're watching a movie. You're very aware, <laughs> nice, right? Um, and also, I, I I had some issues with towards the end of the movie with the score. Score, okay. Yeah, because it all of a sudden sounds a little bit Saturday morning cartoonish. Which is fine for Saturday morning cartoons when you know it's 1993. Well, you also like the Saturday morning cartoon Batman. I no, I, I no Batman the animated series by uh, Bruce Timm and those guys. That was a, that was the most amazing thing in the world. That's that holds up. If you haven't seen that, watch it. Um, but for this, the, the trigger that made it happen, it was okay. It's interesting, but it's like I just don't like this music. <laughs> um, and again, it's just it very fit. cartoony. It, it didn't fit, and you know there was some. Again, it kind of got a little bit sloppy in some sections. It, it's 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 all right. It's okay. It's good. I see it. 
Yeah, I mean that's that, that, that was gonna be my next sort of question. It's not a cinem- it's not the cinematic abomination that like uh, you know, <laughs> it's not as bad as what people saying are saying it is. No, 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 no. I I don't think so. But then again, I mean, like I said, I I don't know. Maybe my older age now, I'm starting to pick things out in movies now because I'm actually like I, I know more things about like behind the scenes stuff, and I'm actually into sort of production issues. So I'm pointing that out, and sometimes I have to realize it's myself as a viewer. I need to just shut up my brain and just enjoy it. Certain things though you just can't help because if it's not if it's a glaring issue, it's a glaring well, issue. How does it stack up against the the recent Avengers movies, including like the you know, the you know, the Captain Americas and the Thors and Iron Man movies? Like is it somewhere in that ballpark? Is it better or worse <laughs> than some? Or Okay. I'm, I'm trying I'm trying like I'm trying to get an impression. This is selfish on my part. If it's worth it for me to actually go out and see this, or if this is like below all the Marvel movies and I'm better off just, you know, uh, streaming it later. Uh, okay. It wasn't as good as Captain America, the winter soldier. I don't think it's even as good as Captain America, the first Avenger. Woof. Um, the Avengers, I'm actually, don't punch me in the face audience. What was the plot of the first Avengers again? Uh, the plot of the first Avengers. Loki. Loki. Right. No, maybe, uh, yes, it was Loki, and all the aliens attacked because there was like a whole. Oh thing. yes, that's right. Yeah, Ooh, man, we both had a blind a blind spot yeah. there. That was bad. That was good. I think that was a bit better too. Obviously, the first Iron Man definitely better. All the Nolan Batman's better. Wow. Uh-huh. You know what's funny? So in the credits, executive producer Christopher Nolan. Oh really? And one apparently one of the writers was also the writer from Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, which makes you wonder. Well, what happened? If there's script issues and this guy was a part of this amazing team, what the hell happened? Well, maybe the Chris Nolan writer got brought in in the 11th hour to punch it up. Like maybe. They saw some bad stuff happening and they you know tried to get some people like, to like save it. Zack Snyder did what? He did Watchmen. He did 300. He's mm-hmm. done some of these more definitely bigger. I de- he definitely falls on the Michael Bay side of things as opposed to the Christopher Nolan. It's not as much as a think piece. Right. But there are some heavy themes. There's some pretty heavy themes. Uh, oh god I was just gonna call him Andy Samberg Jesse Eisenberg (laughs) that would have been a different character (laughs) Andy Samberg Eisenberg's Luthor it was interesting I guess it was definitely different than what you know I felt like he was actually channeling something else but I won't say what it is was he playing Jesse Eisenberg like he does in every movie no although I heard someone say like one of the the review uh, review read Someone said to him, like, do your guy from uh, Social Network, but more. <laughs> Bigger. Do him, but go big. Just leave it out on the stage. <laughs> I almost felt like he was trying to channel, like, a Heath Ledger Joker thing. Like, like, more, like, crazy as opposed to more cool, calm, collected, in control. Which is what you think of with Lex Luthor. Yeah, I mean, I envision, like, Kevin Spacey's Lex Luthor. Oh, they're trying to say Gene Hackman. Yeah, no. See, I don't go. I don't go back that far. Like, I just think the most recent Luthor. But yeah, it was a much more cerebral, contained performance. Yeah, but so it's like I, I say, go see it. You yeah, know? it's because it, it, one, you're going to kind of have to because it, now this is all sets up for the Justice League movies. Sure, sure. You know, and that's that's not a spoiler or anything. That's what it's called. Yeah, every, everybody knows. Yeah, yeah, Dawn, Dawn of, of Justice. <laughs> I will give you one. Uh, or actually, here, do you, do you want to suppose something here, Ryan? Well, it's not just for me. You got to think of all the people who are listening. Like maybe Bruce, I, Bruce Wayne is Batman. What? Damn it! Yeah, 
And Clark Kent is Superman. So we'd love to hear what you all think about uh, Batman versus Superman. You can email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. Keep oh, and the there's conver- one other scene that's just so confounding. I can't wait for you to see it because I want to talk to you about it. Because again, it's just like, what, is, what are they doing? I'm trying to get through to the outro here. Was that was that needed? Oh, oh, oh before we go, I because there were some trailers. Oh, yes. Sorry. The we trailers. discussed we discussed the Ghostbusters trailers before saying yeah. like, OK, what is it? Right. Because how they remember how they did it like, oh, 30 years ago, four four friends men saved new york from all this stuff right i'm thinking oh okay that means it's it's a part of right. it for ghostbusters we didn't know if it was a continuation on the original ghostbusters timeline or, or if it's a new movie just, okay same intro thing for the theatrical trailer and this except now they add a scene where they have um this is in the trailer uh chris hemsworth interviewing to be like the secretary mm-hmm. you know like the little yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. secretary i can't remember it was it nadine was i name? can't remember Something. But now in the trailer, they have a thing where he's like, oh, he's trying to come up with some logos for us and like variations to create the Ghostbusters logo. So now I'm watching it like, well, wait a minute. What do you mean create the logo? What's happening? All right. So maybe it's not a continuation. Of it the could original now, I think timeline. now. Now it could just be like a reboot, which if it's a reboot, then I'm kind of like, I, I don't care for reboots. It's Ghostbusters. It's amazing. Why do it? Not because of the whole women thing. I, I'm fine with that. It's a good team. It just. I feel like it would have been funnier or more interesting if you actually continue a universe as opposed to just retell yeah. it. And also, the the, market, the the marketing department sucks because they have no clear vision of what this is, apparently. Yeah, I get the, that vibe. Yeah, the, the, these trailers are all like sending mixed messages. I, I can't remember which studio it is, but you, all sh- you should all be fired. Wow. Uh, Ooh, we can take their place. Let's go to Hollywood. I Hooray like for Hollywood. Anymore, we have to pay for it. Uh, thank you all very much for listening our thanks to matthew mayfield you can uh, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com if you want to stop uh, check in say hi follow me at ryan k-a-i-r on twitter follow dave at d-k-a-y-e-1027 thank you all for listening to the break the business podcast we will see you next week give it a rest lauren (laughs) 